And then when I moved into working for myself and becoming an entrepreneur, this is where it becomes a bit of an issue. It's a double-edged sword, so to speak, because on one hand, I had complete freedom and flexibility. But on the other hand, I really struggled with doing the things I didn't enjoy. Hello and welcome to How Not To Run A Business with me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs, a podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to work for themselves. Each week, I bring you real, honest, and down-to-earth conversations about success, failure, and how not to run a business, all in service of you living a life you love and achieving your version of success. Welcome to episode 32. Thank you for joining me today and I hope you're doing very well. This episode I am going to be talking about ADHD. Now you may know already because I have shared this in the past that I was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult two years ago in my 40s and I've talked a little bit about ADHD but I've never done a specific episode around the subject and there's been a number of reasons for that. One is because I have been on a journey of self-discovery around what is ADHD, how does it impact me, and going through a process of grief, of being given a diagnosis at a later stage in life, and the impact that that has had, and I will be talking about that in more detail later, but I didn't want to do an episode in the early stages because I hadn't reconciled or got my head around what the diagnosis meant and the impact that that had on me and so I'm now in a position where I feel ready to talk about it and it's something which I will be talking more about. I had a conversation with someone today who uh, was also diagnosed with ADHD in their later years And it was a very inspiring conversation. That person's going to be coming on to talk about their experience with neurodiversity and ADHD. And I thought it was high time for me to record an episode to talk about that, to talk about my own experience, but also share my knowledge around the subject. And this will be a youthful episode for anyone, I believe, particularly if you don't know much about ADHD, you have been diagnosed with ADHD, you haven't been diagnosed with ADHD, you know you don't have ADHD, you think you might have ADHD. This episode is designed and the intention of it is to be for anyone to listen who has an interest in understanding more and I'll be talking relatively briefly about what ADHD is and how it works and medication and those kinds of things but I will be doing that in the context of my own experience as someone who has ADHD and has had it for all of their life because when I started talking about ADHD after my diagnosis a number of people contacted me to ask about diagnosis their experience they had undiagnosed ADHD or they thought they had undiagnosed ADHD and it was a really empowering conversation to share my experience and to support those people who are at the earliest stages of their own discovery around whether or not they have ADHD and how that impacts their lives and what they can do to support themselves and this is all in service of helping people to understand more about ADHD and 
there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of bullshit out there on the internet and social media and there are people who believe that ADHD doesn't exist or it's made up or it's an excuse and I'm here to tell you that that is all bullshit and it does and it impacts people and so I want to share my journey and my story with you to help you understand more about ADHD whether you have it or not and what people can do if they do have it to support themselves because let me tell you right now about 15 20 years ago my life was what could be considered a mess I really struggled with organization with focus with impulsivity I was using alcohol and drugs to self-medicate I had depression anxiety and I didn't have the tools and the skills and the support network to deal with any of this and looking back now in my early 40s I realized the impact that having undiagnosed ADHD had on my life and there was a grieving process there or there has been a grieving process for me to go through because if I'd have been diagnosed or was aware that I had it then my life may have turned out differently and I can't change anything about that now because past is in the past but there is a grieving process I've had to go through and find my own place in the world with my diagnosis and ways of dealing with a brain that isn't functioning in the same way as the vast majority of the population and so I'm going to start off by talking about what ADHD is and how effectively it works or what is going on in someone's brain when they have ADHD. I'm going to start with a caveat with a warning. I'm not a medical professional and so I am going off of my own training and research. I've done some training courses around ADHD. Uh, I've done some research academic research not um, Facebook research or social media research this is based on academic research and so this is an overview of what it is so ADHD stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and there's a question mark around the naming of ADHD because it has the word disorder in it which has a negative connotation and there is also some old terms which are still uh, sloshing around such as ADD which stands for attention deficit disorder and it is considered by the medical community that ADD is an old-fashioned term that shouldn't be used. When I was a child I was called hyperactive and that was a precursor again to ADHD and ADD but for now I'm going to be using the term ADHD. We're going to put aside that stuff because I could go down a ginormous rabbit hole of questions and comments and views and opinions around that but we're going to be referring to ADHD as ADHD for this episode. So ADHD is broken down into three subtypes or what they call a presentation. So the first one is inattentive or inattention. And some of the ways that this would present itself in people's lives who have inattentive ADHD would be that they don't like following instructions or they fail to finish projects or tasks. They have trouble with organization. 
They may avoid tasks that they don't like or require them to put a lot of mental effort in over a long period of time. They might lose things, be very easily distracted or forgetful. And then the second type is hyperactivity and impulsivity. So this is more obvious in the sense that you might recognize it in people in that they can't sit still for a long time. They might tap their feet. They might have struggle sitting in a seat when they're expected to be sat down for long periods of times. Side note, for me, sitting on a plane used to be absolute torture. I'd be getting up and down all the time. They often might talk excessively. They might have issues with holding their opinions to themselves, blurting out in inappropriate situations, interrupting other people. And then the third type is combined. So that is where you have symptoms from both the inattentive and the hyperactivity and impulsivity side. And so for me, I was diagnosed with combined because I have issues from both camps. Hooray, yay for me. An important thing to mention is that it does present itself in different ways for different people at different times, which makes it hard to diagnose and it also makes it very difficult for people to understand what may trigger something or a particular behaviour. So this often leaves people with a question, well, I have some of these symptoms, so does that mean I have ADHD? And the answer is no. When you go through diagnosis, they will ask you, how these symptoms present in your life and as part of a requirement for diagnosis now this I will say will vary between uh, medical or healthcare providers different countries so this is talking about within the UK and the US the requirements for you to be diagnosed with ADHD is that these symptoms present in two or more settings in your life so that might be work and home life or relationships or at school and they have to be persistently present over a period of time and it's and it's normally six months at least six months but for most people it's their whole entire life so what that means is that you may have some of these symptoms in your life but they have to be present over a long period of time and they have to present themselves in different areas of your life. So if you, for example, struggle with focus in one particular area, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got ADHD because it doesn't affect all of your life. And also right now, a requirement of diagnosis is that those symptoms are present in your early years, say before the age of 12. That is based on current research. I know I have read some research that suggests that there is a possibility that ADHD can develop later on in life. But the research and the knowledge around how ADHD develops and what causes it is growing and people are still learning. I'm not going to go down that road because there's a whole world of conversation around that. But let's just say that for right now, it is presumed that if you have those symptoms throughout your whole entire life from childhood to adulthood, then you have ADHD. And then the final thing around diagnosis is that these symptoms cannot be explained by another mental disorder. So that might be a mood disorder, anxiety disorder, personality disorder. And that is why I believe it's important for people to go through the diagnosis process with a healthcare professional 
And the problem we face, particularly in the UK, is that the process of diagnosis for ADHD is long because unless you can go private, which is very expensive and is out of the reach of most people, then you're relying on the NHS and the wait times are long and they're only growing. When I started the process, it was about a six month wait. I do believe it's now years and I know they're trying to do as much to shorten that. But as more people talk about ADHD and there's more conversation, people are starting to look at their lives and themselves and question whether or not they have ADHD. And this is one of the biggest misconceptions around ADHD, that technology and this new way of living, this new life where we have our attention pulled left, right and centre more and more every day is causing more people to have ADHD. That, based on the current research, is not the case. And anyone who is an expert in ADHD will agree that the growing numbers of people being diagnosed is to do with this furthering of the conversation around ADHD and more and more people talking about it on social media and the percentage of population estimated that have ADHD is around four to five percent and that's in adults and in children it's estimated to be between four and twelve percent they reckon that around 50 percent of children who are diagnosed with ADHD in childhood will continue to have symptoms into adulthood so based on a rough population estimate of 67 million people in the UK, then around 2.6, 2.7 million people in the UK have ADHD. And so now I'm going to put my uh, fake scientist hat on and talk to you a little bit about how ADHD actually works in the brain. Like what is ADHD? What problems do people with ADHD have in their brain? And what's going on there but remember i'm not a scientist but i've done a fair amount of research to understand the basics so the main thing really to get is that adhd is not a mental health condition it's not a behavioral problem it's not a learning disability it's a developmental disorder there's some question marks around how adhd develops in the brain there's a lot of research to suggest that it's genetic and that if you're one of your parents or both of your parents have ADHD, the chances are that you will develop it or have it. Um, but again, you know, I'm not going to go into detail about that. What I will say is that the main issue with people who have ADHD is around the production of certain chemicals in your brain. You may hear dopamine being talked a lot about in the ADHD community and research. And that is the main chemical that we, as people who have ADHD, have a problem producing. And I'm not going to go into any more detail than that. If you want to learn about the ins and outs of dopamine and, and how it is or isn't produced in the brain, then please go and Google it. I do know that there's a certain amino acid, which is called tyrosine, which plays an important part in the synthesis of dopamine. There's also the chemical norepinephrine, or sometimes called noradrenaline, which is also related to dopamine. And the reason I talk about all of this is because medication plays a very important role in supporting people with ADHD. And what most medications do is they help the body to produce more dopamine and norepinephrine or noradrenaline 
which is what the ADHD brain is deficient in making its own supply, essentially. And a lack of dopamine and norepinephrine or noradrenaline in the brain has been shown to impact things or symptoms rather that are related to ADHD. So often dopamine is talked about the reward chemicals. So if you think about our ancestors, those human beings that were living in a very different world where they had to search for food and they had to survive on very low resources, things like sugar, for example, or something that had sugar in it, which is a really pure form of energy for our body, when we were going out hunting, if we came across something that was very sweet, when we ate it, we needed our brain, or rather our brains needed a way of telling us that this is really good for us, so we would release dopamine in the brain, and that would reward us with pleasure. And that is why sugar tastes so good, and that's why it can be addictive. It's the same process when people take drugs, when they drink alcohol, when they smoke cigarettes, and take in nicotine, when they drink caffeine, when they go shopping, when they get a hundred likes on the posts that they just put on social media. All of these activities help the brain to release dopamine. And in this modern world, it really does fuck with our heads, so to speak. And this is what people tend to think and associate ADHD with. These chemicals are incredibly important in helping us to manage things like anxiety, mood disorders, control, executive function, focus. And so when your brain is deficient or has issues producing that, then these problems will arise. And that essentially is what is going on in an ADHD brain. And as we grow into adults from children, then we do learn behaviours. We are more socially aware. We're more aware of our surroundings. So we will start to find ways to deal with our brains and the issues that it has as a result of not being able to produce these chemicals. But what I'm noticing for myself and certainly for other adults who have ADHD is that we're struggling with these problems and society is telling us that we've got something wrong and we should behave a certain way. And then that leaves us feeling basically shit about ourselves. And when you have a neuro diverse conditions such as ADHD and you're living in what's called a neurotypical world well let's hold on a minute let me explain what that means so neurotypical essentially means that your brain has developed in the I'm using air quotes here correct way and I use air quotes because there's a whole conversation around what is correct and normal and if you're neurodiverse, then your brain has developed in a different way, such as ADHD or autism or dyslexia, which means that you have a certain set of challenges in the way that your brain is wired. And I, your brain doesn't have wiring, but certain neural pathways or the structure of the brain is developed in a way which means that it's challenged in different ways to someone who is neurotypical. And I think it's an interesting conversation to be had around what is typical, what is normal, because given the large proportion of population that have some form of neurodiverse condition, then there are a lot of conversations right now around whether or not this is a disorder or whether it is a problem. It's just a different way of being. It doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just different. And there's lots of 
positive benefits to people that have neurodiverse conditions. And there's a lot of conversation and great work being done around that. Because for me, there are some real positive benefits to having ADHD. I'm incredibly creative and I think very differently from other people. So I'm very good at creating a vision for something, being able to take a helicopter view and see a problem from a different perspective from someone. I have a lot of energy. I'm very gregarious. I can talk. I'm a good communicator. On the flip side, there are downsides to that in that I don't like sitting down and having to do something which I particularly don't enjoy for a long period of time because my brain just doesn't want to do it so it means that I will get up I will fidget and this is just one example and if you look at autism and dyslexia as two other neurodiverse conditions they will present their own unique set of challenges but they also mean that people with those conditions are really good at certain things and I think this is a problem with the way that we view the world and we have done for so many years and this is what's great about this change in conversation around what it means to be neurodiverse versus neurotypical because it's always been seen as a disorder and it's not necessarily a disorder it just means that I'm living in a world that has been set up and designed and constructed for neurotypical people. So one example is working Monday to Friday, nine to five. I've known that my entire life. It's only since I've become self-employed and been an entrepreneur that I have the freedom and flexibility to be able to change my working patterns to suit how my brain works confession this is take two of recording this podcast episode i'd got about 30 minutes in and i got so exhausted i've been talking all morning i've been on a therapy session and then i had an hour and a half conversation with someone around coming on to this podcast and by the end of it after i'd sat down and done my research for this episode and written down what i was going to talk about i started recording and my brain was exhausted i was so so tired so i took a break and i went and slept for two hours and I've got back up, it's now seven o'clock in the evening, I'm full of energy, and I'm ready to come back and record it. Now, if I was working in a business where you're expected to be in the building at 9am and leave at 5.30pm and have your hours lunch, and in between those hours, you are expected to work, for people with ADHD, that is a challenge. And for a lot of people, they think, well, that's just the way it is, get, you know, the world is, get used to it, work around this structure and this is exactly what i'm talking about why it's so great that these conversations around neurodiversity are happening because who's to say that i have to work to that schedule why can't i do what i did today why can't i structure my day based on how my brain works best i know that first thing in the morning is when i've got a lot of energy i'm very creative i'm very switched on come the afternoon i'm exhausted and i'm tired and part of that has got something to do with my environment and how i live my life but a large part of that is also to do with how my brain works and there's actually not a lot i can do about it because that is the way my brain is structured if you think about diabetes people who are diabetic have issues with producing insulin and they have to live their life in a certain way and that is a very clear physical condition it's got 
very little to do with the brain it's to do with the functioning of the pancreas and most people won't criticize or get funny with diabetics if they have to do things in a certain way so my question is why is it any different for people with neurodiverse brains and of course there's a whole world of conversation around that things are changing but there's a lot of people out there who are very stuck in their ways and have a very negative view of neurodiversity and so it's a challenge for us and I'm really glad that those conversations are being had and that the world is starting to take more notice of this because it's really important in my opinion and so I'm going to jump off my soapbox and I want to share with you my experience of being diagnosed in my later years and the journey up until that point and what I've been through. So as a child, I was very loud, very hyperactive. I was labeled hyperactive. I was very noisy. I challenged. I said things out loud in inappropriate situations. I didn't particularly enjoy school. I didn't particularly enjoy having to do my homework. I wanted to be around people. I thrived off human connection that was part of where I got my dopamine from and so growing up in a world where ADHD certainly wasn't a big thing and hyperactivity was a thing and that's what I was labeled and it was often considered in my younger years so we're talking in the 80s as a behavioral problem I was a problem child I had behavior issues I was disruptive and there's not a lot I can do about that right it's in the past and I have been through my own journey of self-discovery and dealing with that but the problems I faced growing up as a child and as an adult were really clear when I got diagnosed and I looked back over my life and I could see how it presented a problem it presented a problem at school I did okay at secondary school I got reasonably good grades I probably could have got better grades if I'd applied myself but then there's a whole question around this educational system and it's structured in a way that we have to learn certain things and when I got to college and I got to choose the subjects I was interested in that was where my grades improved where my engagement with the education improved and I enjoyed it more because I did a GMVQ in business studies more of a vocational course so it's less about exams it's more about coursework there was that freedom and that flexibility to study in a different way and I really thrived and f flourished in that area I then left college and went and got a job in a call center which on the face of things was possibly one of the most difficult jobs for someone with ADHD to do because you were sat at a desk for eight hours a day with a headset on and your every move was monitored so you couldn't just get up and walk off and go and have a break you had set break times and it was very regimented in a way but looking at that job what I absolutely loved about it because I worked in the fault center for what was then NTL which is now Virgin Media so dealing with people's issues with their cable tv and their telephones is two things which i absolutely love one was talking to people and two was solving problems so for me whilst i had to sit there all day and i did have i did have struggles with 
sitting in one place, of course. But I was doing something that I really enjoyed and I had a great team of people around me. And so I actually really thrived in that environment. I went to university slightly later at 21, again, doing a subject which I was really interested in. But it was an academic course. It was multimedia studies. And so there was a lot of uh, things like video production and producing, creating websites. But there was also an academic side to it. So I was learning about economics and uh, those kinds of subjects, which, to be honest, I didn't really have much interest in. And again, I did okay, but I really hated having to sit and write long essays. And I would often do them in a way that I would leave it to the last minute because I didn't want to do it and avoid it. And then I would be forced to sit and get it done in a short period of time. So I don't really recall it being a major, major issue, but it certainly wasn't something that I enjoyed or if I had to repeat the experience I would do again without having the right support because you have to remember that at that age I had ADHD but I wasn't diagnosed so I was often left feeling like what's wrong with me why can't I do this like everyone else why am I struggling and I left that and I went and got a job in a agency uh, a digital marketing agency and again I had a really great team around me I loved the job. I was really interested in it. But in that job, I had the freedom to, to a certain extent, work when I wanted to. If I wanted to get up and go and make a cup of tea or go outside, and at the time I was a smoker, so I'd go out and have a cigarette, then there wasn't an issue around that. So I had that ability to get up and move around. Um, And then I moved into another job similar, but now up in London again. Really interesting job. I ran a team of eight people, so I was able to focus on the strategy and the dealing with the clients rather than the having to sit there and do the actual work. And again, that kind of job really supported my brain because I really enjoyed doing it. And then when I moved into working for myself and becoming an entrepreneur, this is where it becomes a bit of an issue. It's a double-edged sword, so to speak, because on one hand I had complete freedom and flexibility but on the other hand I really struggled with doing the things I didn't enjoy and if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner who is working for themselves and you are the one person in your business that you are relied on to do most things or you have a small team but you're still having to do lots of different things the problem that I found with having ADHD and certainly undiagnosed ADHD is the things that I wasn't interested in doing I really struggled to focus on and when you run your own business unfortunately this is a fact of life is that there are certain things unless you have the money and the resources to actually go out and pay someone to do it which often in startups and early stages if you haven't got investment isn't a possibility then you're going to struggle and so one clear example was around finances wasn't interested in it didn't understand it struggled to understand it in the early stages so I avoided it I ended up getting myself and the business into around 150,000 pounds worth of debt without really knowing about it there's a whole podcast episode around that which you can go back and listen to and I had to learn the hard way I guess um but it wasn't easy and it isn't easy. I still struggle with it today. The things that I don't particularly enjoy doing, I will avoid and I have to put a lot of mental energy and effort into 
doing those things and there are certain things and ways of working which support me which I will talk about in a little while because I want to share some practical advice and tips but suffice to say it's a it's a consistent problem now one thing which overarched all of that and I talked about earlier around dopamine depletion not having enough dopamine in your brain that's a big key challenge for people with ADHD and so people with ADHD are more likely particularly if they have combined or hyperactivity impulsivity some people and I will say some people because please do not take this as what I'm just about to say that this applies to everyone because it's not the case so if someone has ADHD it doesn't mean that they have problems with this but it is more prevalent in people with ADHD around addiction issues. So let's think about all the things that are addictive. Food, sugar, alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, sex, shopping. Uh, what else? Other things. But those are the main things we think about when we think about addictions. For me, I love and still do alcohol because in the short term it flooded my brain with dopamine and it had lots of wonderful chemical impacts on my brain and for me one thing that I've noticed and recognized about myself is I will often turn it up to 10 max it out I always want maximum impact maximum effect and my off switch isn't that great so for many years I struggled with alcohol and drugs and it had a pretty serious impact on my life. I was able to function most of the time but it wasn't a particularly nice experience and I went down a path of exploring am I an addict? I looked at 12-step programs um, and I still had undiagnosed ADHD and I couldn't make it work and I couldn't figure out why and then when I was diagnosed I realized I was treating the wrong problem it wasn't that I was an addict and that I had addiction issues although I kind of did but that wasn't the primary reason why it was because I had ADHD and I don't know the statistics on this but there are a lot of people a fair amount of people who have ADHD that do have addiction issues please remember not everyone it's not the case for everyone but some people do and it certainly was true for me so when I got the correct diagnosis and I was able to treat the uh, symptoms in a different way then everything clicked into place and it stopped being a major issue it wasn't a walk in the park but it enabled me to treat the right issue and the right problem and that worked for me and for me being diagnosed at the age of 40 brought up a lot of mm, challenges a lot of emotions a lot of frustration a lot of anger not particularly directed at anyone in particular or a group of people it was just a big question for me was wow what would have life been like had I been diagnosed as a child and had the support that I could have had now I'm always a believer in I can't change the past I have to accept what is and I have accepted that 
but it always leaves that question what if and that is why i'm very passionate about talking about adhd and why i'm very passionate about supporting people i'm an advocate for people particularly children for being diagnosed and being treated and supported as much as possible but the biggest thing that was obvious to me looking back is i was making myself wrong and beating myself up and giving myself a very hard time because i kept on wondering what is wrong with me why can't i make this work why can't i deal with these issues why do i have such problems and it got to a really dark place at one point in my life where i didn't trust myself i just had no hope like if this is how my life is going to be what is the point of going on um, I didn't know where to turn because no one seemed to understand me and I didn't understand myself. So when I went through the diagnosis process, I was able to get the right support from the right people. And that helped me on this journey of self-acceptance and self-discovery. Because if you've dealt with any issue in your life, the minute you meet someone who has the same problems and gets you, it's like a lightning bolt and there's a connection there you don't have to explain yourself and you can start to talk about the challenges that you have this is the whole point of me doing this podcast episode is to share my journey and my story for people that are maybe at different stages of their diagnosis or thinking about it and even to help people who don't have adhd to try and understand a little bit more about what people with adhd are dealing with and what problems that they face when i realized that my brain is just designed or built or developed in a different way and it doesn't mean anything about me as an individual then i can start that journey of recovery of healing and of getting the support that i need and the first line of dealing with adhd or treating adhd rather i should say is medication I'm going to talk very briefly about medication. So the f most common use or the most common medication that is used rather is stimulant medication. And it's based on amphetamines, essentially. And what that drug does is it helps your body to produce dopamine and norepinephrine or noradrenaline which is the one chemical that our brains are deficient in producing. So if you think about traditional, I want to say traditional, I don't mean traditional at all. What I mean is if you think about amphetamines, you'll often th think of recreational drugs such as speed or methamphetamine. And of course, those drugs are extremely powerful and come with a whole host of dangers and are highly addictive and cause a lot of problems for a lot of people. And so you can understand why people are wary is a light way of saying it. It's a controversial thing to be giving, particularly children, amphetamine-based drugs. Um, but the fact of the matter is they do work for a lot of people. They're highly effective. I did start on medication. The titration process, so that process of getting the right drug, because there's lots of variants out there, but also lots of doses, um took me probably about six to nine months to get the dose and the drug right because i started off with one particular type of drug 
and it was a long-acting one. I didn't get on well with it. It caused a lot of side effects. I managed to find a drug that worked for me. It was a short-acting one, and it worked really effectively, and I was able to manage my ADHD much more effectively through the use of medication. But I took a decision a few months ago to stop. I'm not going to go into the reasons why, but what I will say is it was a personal choice. There were side effects that were outweighing the benefits, let's say. And so I decided to stop taking them. I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to make that a permanent thing, but I needed to take a pause for myself. And what that has led me now onto a journey is, can I manage this without the use of medication? And I believe I can. I'll give you an example. When I first started working for myself, I was hopeless at organization absolutely hopeless with organizing my time I really struggled with time management um I remember once someone calling me up and saying oh hi I'm in the cafe um where are you and I was like oh shit um I didn't even realize I was meeting this person I hadn't put it in my diary I didn't have a diary (laughs) I was like oh okay yeah I'm on my way I will be there soon I managed to get there and uh and that was a continual problem for me and I have had to learn ways to manage that i now have a diary which is a huge support for me an electronic diary google google calendar i actually have multiple google calendars and it is a non-negotiable that i use my diary to structure my life the minute i make an arrangement to meet someone or i have to be somewhere at a certain time it goes in the diary and it's a non-negotiable as much as brushing my teeth every morning and every evening so it's become a habit and has that been easy has that taken some time and some playing around with and has there been some fuck-ups and some mistakes and some failure around that absolutely but i'm now 95 percent of the time that works for me and so that has shown that it is possible for me to overcome the challenges that are a result of me having adhd And so over the last few months, I mean, this has been going on for quite some time, but over the last few months, I've really doubled down on understanding the things that I can do to support me with having ADHD. And the list should come at no surprise to anyone. And I think this list is just a list of things that all humans should do if they want to live a fulfilling, long, productive life. And those are things such as exercise, sleep, diet, communication, mindfulness. So making sure I get enough sleep, that I have good sleep hygiene is really, really important. Sleep is very important for the production of dopamine. It's a challenge for me because part of my issue with ADHD is insomnia So it does have its own set of challenges, but making sure I get enough sleep is hugely important for me. One thing which I have done is I've given up drinking alcohol. Now, I've done this in the past. I did four months, seven months, and a year of not drinking alcohol. And I'm going to be talking about more about alcohol in future episodes as part of my drive for improving mental health for people and entrepreneurs and business owners but all I will say on that is quitting alcohol is by far the best thing I've done for myself am I ever going to drink alcohol again I don't know but right now 
I don't want to and it's not serving me so I've taken that decision to stop it's overall fantastic that's all I can say I have better mood less anxiety I have more money I have more energy I have less propensity to think I'm a piece of shit and beat myself up and the biggest challenge is always going to be around particularly in the UK the fact that alcohol is ingrained in our culture it's everywhere you can't go anywhere without someone offering you a drink or giving you a free uh, bottle of champagne for a celebration and so yeah there's a whole world of challenges there and we're going to be talking about that more in the future but for now alcohol has been one of the biggest things that I have done which has had a really positive impact um exercise again exercise is great for human beings generally and i did an episode which was released last week with lindsay trahan we're talking about exercise for entrepreneurs which was a great conversation go and have a listen to that if you are interested in improving your exercise but for me exercise is a really really great way to help manage my mental health but also adhd um, it produces a lot of really good chemical chemicals in my brain but also it helps wear me out and helps me sleep at night which is really really important as i've said and then communication with people is another one support network having people around you who have adhd that can support you a really big one for me also is meditation and mindfulness which is the opposite of having ADHD and I've really struggled with and the reason I struggled with it the most was because when I thought about meditation and mindfulness it was this idea of sitting there for like 20 minutes zen not thinking about anything that is not what meditation and mindfulness is about at all it's more about slowing down your thought process getting into the present moment not trying to get rid of thoughts because thoughts will come naturally but not engaging with them and allowing them to move away there's good evidence to suggest that mindfulness and meditation will help with dopamine production and what has been really powerful for me is to let go of this idea that meditation is sitting cross-legged on the floor and being zen in the moment i do do that i do do meditation practices like that they tend to be five to ten minutes but what I call micro meditation. So it's a constant process of checking in with yourself, which again is another habit that I've had to form, taking a moment to check in and then stopping and just doing some breathing. Box breathing is a really good one for me. Breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four, hold for four and repeat for a few cycles, maybe a minute until you start to feel calmer. That's really important for me as someone with ADHD and has become a very effective practice so again meditation and mindfulness practices are, are really really important and actually very challenging for a lot of people with adhd and linked to that is also listening to music for me i am very sensitive to loud noises lots of people i can struggle in environments where there's lots of people around and this is very obvious when i'm trying to focus on something so for me, having music in the background, headphones on, uh, I like to listen to quite upbeat house dance music. 
um, that actually, when I put that on with noise cancelling headphones, really helps with my focus because I'm shutting the entire world out and then that will help me to focus on my work. And it's also being aware as someone with ADHD about overstimulation. I've always known myself to be a very sensitive person, particularly to loud noises or in, uh, environments with lots of people. So um, going through things like airports or busy train stations can be quite overwhelming for me and I do struggle with that. So just being aware of all of this sort of stuff, not giving yourself a hard time and giving yourself a break, being compassionate and understanding to yourself, talking to yourself like a good loving friend would is a very, again, another uh, really important practice for me to not give myself a hard time because I'm struggling or I'm not able to do something as well as I'd like. Diet as well is again very important so alcohol is part of that cutting out alcohol but um, not eating as many uh, high processed foods, sugar, uh, not too much caffeine, I've stopped drinking carbonated drinks, eating more vegetables, more fruits, having a more balanced diet. Carbs is another one which I've experimented with cutting out. I don't tend to eat a lot of carbs. I don't really eat potato, rice, pasta and bread. Oh, I do like a uh, I do like bread. I have to say it's my Achilles heel. But um I don't tend to eat a lot of a lot of those things. One thing which has been really really effective and very very interesting to play around with is intermittent fasting. I don't know how and I don't know why and people who know more about intermittent fasting will be able to answer this but there is uh, from my own experience and also I have read some research on it there is uh, some evidence to support that intermittent fasting is very useful for people with ADHD. I noticed that the minute I eat particularly something which is high in carbs my focus and my attention drops off a cliff that's why I don't tend to eat breakfast. If I do, it's very light. And I actually sometimes don't eat lunch. Now, that is for some people like, what? You've grown up in a world where you have three meals a day. You know, you eat at breakfast, you eat at lunch, you eat dinner. Again, one of these things that I'm just like, eh, fuck that. Like, try these things out. For me, when I eat and what I eat, it's really effective in me helping to manage my focus and attention all of these things i've talked about are really effective in helping me to manage my adhd to manage my brain it's not like one thing is going to make all the difference it's a combination of these things and it's only really in the last few months and certainly last few years that i've really taken this on to put my supporting my brain rather at the forefront of everything i do because I want to be productive, I want to live a long life, I want to have a successful life, a successful business and enjoy the work I do and so all of these things are very helpful and supportive of me having that. And one final thing which I haven't mentioned is cold water immersion. I know that everyone's uh so my friend says, oh, she's an ice bath wanker. <laughs> um, whether or not you have. Some people have some really strong reactions to things like Wim Hof and ice uh, ice baths and all this sort of stuff. They look at it as a fad. I, I did at the beginning, to be honest. Like, oh, fucking hell, everyone's jumping in an ice bath now. Um, but it really does work. It's There's a lot of evidence to suggest when you put your body through that level of shock, it helps with 
dopamine production um it helps with mental health and anxiety when you plunge your whole entire body into water which is at three degrees your body will go into shock um of course always make sure that you're doing this uh safely don't go and chuck yourself in three degrees of water by yourself always have someone there present and don't sit in there at the beginning for like 10 minutes do it um slowly and build your tolerance up but what i've noticed for me because my partner bought a ice bath is that it really helps really helps with mental health and with anxiety because what happens when you dunk yourself in that water your body your whole everything in your body all your systems go into shock and into overdrive fight or flight your uh, nervous system kicks off your brain kicks off what am i doing get me the fuck out this thing right now and if you're able to sit in it and be uncomfortable what i've noticed is that i can practice regulating my breathing bringing my mental state into a place of calm and that translates into daily life it also helps with my brain and my adhd and with dopamine production i also have cold showers which are a very different beast in my opinion to dunking yourself in water and they have a different effect again these things do work so i would invite you to try these things out but the core things sleep i think cutting out alcohol not drinking too much coffee uh you know cutting out nicotine eating well exercising regularly all these basic things that people talk about i'm sorry to bore you there's no like magic thing that is gonna make a huge difference it does for some people but it hasn't for me and it's a case of trying these different things out giving them a go and to the point where you think yeah this is either really working for me or not because everyone's going to be different so i think i'm going to leave it there i've just had a little through, through my list my notes that i wrote down on my ipad and i think i've covered everything off that i wanted to talk about yeah so i hope this episode has been useful it's uh, setting the context for talking more about neurodiversity i'm going to be talking more about mental health neurodiversity and all the things that i deem important outside of running a business so to do with the individual to do with our mental health to do with our physical health to do with keeping our body our wonderful bodies and our wonderful brains in tip-top condition and having a stress-free and enjoyable life as much as possible and having success whatever that looks like for you so thank you for listening reach out if you've got any questions you want to have a chat now we'll be back next week with another great episode thank you so much for listening in today i hope you've enjoyed this conversation this has been how not to run a business with your host me jeremy jacobs if you like this conversation and you want to hear more then make sure you follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and whilst you're there if you want to leave me a review i would really appreciate it if you'd like to connect with me online you can do so on instagram linkedin and facebook and my profile name is Jeremy Jacobs UK. Or you can check out my website, which is jeremyjacobs.co.uk. So once again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep on trying, keep on failing, keep on succeeding. <laughs>